What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Lifestyle Medicine Podcast. And today we actually have a happy healthcare worker. What? Yep, and did I mention that she owns her own direct primary care clinic? She's a nurse practitioner, and her name is Farah Myers. I'm super excited to share this conversation she had with our co-founder, John. She is the owner and operator of Cool Creek Family Health in Caramel, Indiana. They go over burnout in the fee-for-service setting, about her making the jump into launching her own practice as a nurse practitioner, avoiding that burnout in that setting, lifestyle medicine approaches with her patients, a little bit of poop talk, and her hip skills on making healthcare fun again on social media. So really happy to have her as a partner of Terra Health Coaching. Really excited to share this episode. If you're new, Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We're really here to help physicians and support their practice. So if you're new and want to help, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this. It really helps us. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram. All of your feedback is welcome. We really appreciate you tuning in. So other than that, have a lovely, healthy day. Our healthcare system doesn't support lifestyle change as a method to heal. And that's why we started Terra, to shift healthcare towards a preventative model by supporting healthcare professionals who want to implement behavior change into their practice, but may not have the resources to do so. We believe that lifestyle change should be everyone's first step to getting healthy. But most healthcare professionals don't have enough time to educate and keep their patients accountable on a daily basis. Tara has over 50 health coaches with various backgrounds and specialties to align with your patient's needs. Not only do we save you time and make you money, but truly improve your patient outcomes. It is easy for your patients to get started. Have them schedule a free breakthrough call with us to find the right coach and program. Their coach will take them through a lifestyle assessment, weekly coaching calls, and daily habit tracking. Schedule a time with us today to see how we can support your practice. Thank you for joining us, Farah, uh, owner of Cool Creek Family Health in Carmel, Indiana. Um, So I guess I wanna lead off with one thing which kind of I had to learn when I first start, when we, when Terra Health Coaching started working with um, direct primary care, which you can, you can dive into, you can dive into. So Farah Myers is, uh, you, you run your own clinic. You're the owner and founder of Cool Creek Family Health. So you must work for a doctor, right? A medical doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So in the state of Indiana and 26 other states in the U.S., we as family nurse practitioners can have, we can practice independently. Uh, within the state of Indiana, we uh, just have a collaborative agreement. So basically it's a, a, an agreement on file that a physician audits 5% of the charts we prescribe on. Uh, okay. However, they don't, they're not required to be in our office. They're not required to be on site, part of the medical model, part of the business or anything like that. It's really um, something actually where we're working on through legislation to drop because mm-hmm. it is a 40 year old law that's in place that really just doesn't have any place at this point in time. What that, that piece that they're still kind of checking in on things type type. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's a basic barrier for patients for access to care. So, yeah. um, you know, and we're hoping I've been talking to legislators within um, within the area and my own legislators like the, you know, just to talk to them a little bit more about how this is a barrier for all these NPs that want to be able to provide a direct primary care model and, you know, how we can increase access to care by dropping 
this collaborative need and giving us full practice authority. Yeah, very cool. So did you, were you in Indiana? Did you know that, was that part of the catalyst of doing your own clinic? Was that Indiana did allow it? Um, I mean, it didn't hurt it. Yeah, <laughs> so, for, yeah. Sure, for sure. I mean, uh, to be honest, though, with Indiana, we, we were moving back. I'm from Indiana. I grew up uh -huh. here and my okay. husband grew up in Indiana. And so it was like, you know, we, we love the state. It's a great state. It's an awesome yeah. place to live. We love Carmel. Um, so it wasn't that wasn't part of it. It was just um, I knew I could do it. But there were barriers. There were certain barriers. And, you know, finding a physician to collaborate with and all of that was a little bit of it was frustrating in the beginning, but I found a great one and she's fantastic and kind of just lets me do what I got to do and believes in what I do and really supports it. So, um, so it works well for me. Now do a lot of other states. Um, I just want to kind of cover this for any other nurse practitioners, um, that, that might listen to this, but, um, Absolutely. do, do most of the other states have similar, uh, requirements? Or is that an Actually, Indiana specific? I mean, it just really depends on the state. So if okay. you look, uh, our organization, AANP, has a map on there on their website that basically, so there are 26 states that actually have full practice authority where they don't have any, they don't need any wow. physician oversight. And because those states have kind of come to the consensus that things have been better since we've had nurse practitioners and given them full practice authority. Um, there are states like Indiana where it's more of a collaborative agreement where we collaborate with, where we're required to have this agreement on, on file so we can collaborate with the physicians. Um, and then there are other states that are more restrictive and make it really hard in that the, you know, the NP can only uh, work underneath a physician or needs to be directly supervised. It's, it's very state specific as to what mm -hmm. NPs can do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's very helpful. Cause that was one thing, like I said before, I had to learn, um, yeah. meeting, meeting a lot of nurse, other nurse practitioners that were doing it. And I said, well, this mm -hmm. is interesting. And I didn't know if it was state by state and all that, all that fun stuff. So that's very yeah, cool. It was to interesting how many, how many DPCs are in Florida and Florida is a pretty yeah. restrictive state, but they're able yeah. to, you know, they yeah, they're able access to, to care. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, just really, it really all just depends on the state you live in. You just have to make sure you look up your board of nursing and, and do the right things. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, you're, you're going to move back to Indiana. You and the husband mm -hmm. are both from Indiana going to move back. So where were you prior to this prior to direct primary care in Indiana? Yeah. So I moved, uh, I did my nursing, my master's in nursing in Chicago at DePaul university. So mm -hmm. I was there and I worked in the hospital system there for a little while. Um, and then I also worked in a federally qualified health center um, in primary care. And that's when I really loved it. And I was like, I want to go back. I want to do more. And so I actually, interesting story I had, there was a nurse practitioner in that federally qualified health center that did, um, she did these like diabetes group visits, which were mm -hmm. just amazing. So she would get a group of like eight to 10 newly diagnosed diabetics and they would meet once a month for these shared medical groups. And, um, and like one time they would go over meds, one time they would go over diet. She would cook food for them and, and plate their food and show them like what's a normal portion for, awesome. for a diabetic patient and all that. So that was something that that struck me that I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, it, when you have the time and when you can figure out how to do it, you know, that would be so cool to do. So I always wanted to practice and do something to that extent. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, I did my rotations and all of that there. And then, um, and then we moved to Indiana and that's where I worked when, within, um, urgent care. I worked within primary care and then was kind of like, 
jaded by the whole hospital system and just like, okay, I'm done. I can do this way better on my own. And I have been. So <laughs> now how long did you, uh, how long did you endure that? The, the, uh, the oh. burnout, the, the encroaching burnout. It unfortunately did not take me very long to burn out just because mm -hmm. the demands were just ridiculous. Um, so I worked within urgent care. I did that for over a year and then moved into primary care. And then um, and within primary care, I worked there about four years in primary care. And it was just like I was I'm a revolving door. And it's like, that's not yeah. why I did this degree. That's not why, you know, I would see people for their anxiety or their depression and I would help stabilize them within the eight minute time frame that I had, but work with them. And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, you need to go see so-and-so for your pap smear now. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like they shouldn't, we shouldn't be rotating providers around and around. And I get the whole model of, you know, team-based care can be very efficient, but it wasn't where I was working. And so, um, it just, you know, I started to burn out and I was the highest producing nurse practitioner on the North side in like my area. And, um, meaning that I saw the most patients, I made the most money for my health organization and I hit the 50% benchmark on my, on my, um, bonus. And when I asked like, okay, well, what can I do to actually meet the benchmarks of my bonus to like meet those RVUs? Like, you know, I'm ambitious. I want to do this, right? I'm already there. I'm at the top. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, you can drop to 1530s. So it meant that you can drop from seeing a patient for 40 minutes or 20 minutes to 15 minutes. So it's basically, you can see your patients for less to like increase how many times you see people. And it was like, this is ridiculous. And so I was yeah. like, I got, I got to find something different and I got to find something better. Wow, that's that's crazy. And every every nurse practitioner, PA, medical doctor that you speak to coming from those systems, if they have left or even if they're still stuck in it and they're scared to leave, it's yeah. it's a different it's a different story each time, but it's all the same story as well with a it different is. angle. with a different angle. And it's just it's it's amazing every time you hear it because you can't believe that number one, you have to go through that and how big of an industry our healthcare industry is. And mm -hmm. unfortunately the patients are at the other end of it. And you're being yeah. told that you, they, you can see them for less amount of time to exactly. be more successful. Absolutely. And it's frustrating. And it, the thing is, is it's not, it's not even a physician versus NP thing. It's like everybody felt frustrated mm -hmm. in that situation. It's just, you don't have, you, you're just booked and booked and booked and you just don't have the time to provide the care that you want to provide. And in the end, you know, the providers are burning out, the clinicians are burning out and the patients are getting low quality care, you know, mm -hmm. and then everybody, nobody wins in that situation except for the hospital administrators, you know, they're the only yeah. ones. Yep. So. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, so off you go to direct mm -hmm. primary care, Cool Creek and Carmel. Um, yeah. So let's talk about how that ramped up because, you know, going to our first conference when we started working with direct primary care clinics, our first conference was Hint Health. Then we went down mm -hmm. to AAFP, the DPC um, uh, conference in Kansas yeah. City. And you mm -hmm. hear a lot of funny stories of, of the, the, the newbies, the new DPCs that are coming out. And a lot of people give, give talks and speeches about what they learn throughout the growth of their direct primary care clinic. Because obviously you went from a hospital system, which kind of a team approach, but you just kind of refer them to someone else and they come yeah. around in a full circle and see you again at some point. But now you have to be everything to everyone. So <laughs> yeah. talk to me about that, 
that could that could be a slippery slope into a different kind of burnout, right? Because now, yes. can they? When you first started, were people texting you at 10 p.m. at night, or where where did you, how did you kind of manage that start the startup business side of wanting to do everything for everyone? Absolutely. So yes, like in the very beginning, I was just eager beaver and I was like, oh my gosh, I'll do anything, everything for you. I would text you back and all of that. And then it's kind of like you start to get busier. You start to realize that like, oh my gosh, I'm a person too. And how, how am I going to scale this up? You know, right now, if I only have like 30 patients, yeah, that's great. But how am I going to scale this up to where it's a good income for my family, but also like not compromising care again. And so, I mean, to be honest, like my patients don't generally text me. And the reason is, is because I take the time. I mean, our, my onboarding visit with them is 90 minutes. They take, sometimes it's two hours, you know, it really just depends. But I take that time in clinic with them to answer a lot of their questions. And then I also, I'm an open book and you'll probably see as you appreciate my LinkedIn posts and all of yeah. that, that it's like, we'll get I into like that. to take we'll get my into life that. story. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like to take my life story and apply that. So a lot of the things that I do when I deal with patients or when I'm, I'm educating my patients is that like, I'm like, I, I also have a family too. And, you know, we talk about, I talk about my kids and I talk about my husband, you know, I have a, a great anxiety story about my husband when he used to have panic attacks and, you know, and I, I make it so that we're very relatable. So at the end of the day, it isn't overwhelming because, my patients are also, I have a relationship with them. So they respect yeah. those boundaries and they know that if they're not respecting the boundaries, I feel comfortable being like, all right, it's okay. I know it's Saturday at 10, but you know, I may not answer this text because I'm not answering it because it's not urgent, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's a double edged sword, but you know, most, most of my patients, 99% of them understand that. And you know, they almost feel bad texting me on a Saturday and it's like, mm -hmm. it really isn't a big deal. Like it's right. okay. You can text me, you know, yeah. but I also make it a point to be, to set some boundaries where if they text me on a Saturday night, um, you know, and it's not important, I just wait till Monday to respond and they mm -hmm. totally get it. So yeah. was that, was that was that a learning curve for them and for you? Like, did you have that really hard first two months where they would, you know, I have a bellyache on Saturday night or did they kind of understand that where like, hey, bellyaches, you know, okay, see how you are in the morning. But hey, if your son falls and breaks their arm, you know, give me a call before you go to the ER and let me and let's talk about it. Yeah. Like where where know, is the where's this where's the where is that? It yeah. really just depends on on the patient themselves and honestly their level of health anxiety. You know, and mm -hmm. health anxiety is a big deal. Um, yeah. A lot of people have it, and so I know which patients of mine have health anxiety from the two hour visit that I did with them prior. So I know yeah. what to expect, and so some of them, yes, I'll text them back because I know this going to affect their sleep on a Saturday night, and it doesn't put me out. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, some of the other people, yeah, it's, I have people where they'll tell me they went to the ER over the weekend. I was like, why didn't you call me? Like, yeah. that's what this is for, and they're like, we yes. don't want to bother you. So <laughs> it's it's it really just depends on the patient each time I just try to educate them if they did, you know, if it kind of maybe violated the patient agreement or anything like that. But I mean, I, I, I so rarely have had that happen. You know, mm -hmm. it hasn't been an issue because it's where, again, we have a relationship. I am a person and they know that. And so they respect me as a person. And I tell everybody, you know, I found the, the, my patient relationships on three things, respect, trust, and communication. And mm -hmm. I give that, I give that as well as I, I respect it. And so it works out well. That's refreshing to hear because imagine 
you know, the hospital system of when you go in there, it's just pure anxiety right away. You don't know yeah. what you're going to, what you're going to get billed, how you're going to get treated. It's just, um, so that's nice. That's, that's refreshing to hear that you have a, someone can have a health experience based on those values. Um, yeah. which is neat. Yeah. And it's and great. It's I mean, I even love how they just walk into the office and they're like, Oh, you have a couch here. Oh, this is yeah. nice. Like, you yeah. know, it's just, even just the, the feel of the office. Yes. I have a table and I have like medical supplies in there, but it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't feel sterile and my waiting room yeah. is teeny tiny. You know, it's just, it's when they walk in and that whole just DPC feel is there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny when you said health anxiety, uh, my son last week had a case of like a nasty croup cough. Uh, you know, we had the, mm. the Friday, the Friday night croup cough and he was like, yeah. couldn't breathe in the whole nine yards, but that's like his third time having it. And the first time we went pure health anxiety, ER, uh, $2,000 bill, just oh. because the whole nine yards. Cause it was our first time yeah. as new, as new parents. And, uh, yeah. it was at, it was at three in the morning. So, uh, we learned our lesson and now it's, it's, I, I, I totally understand the health anxiety piece of, uh, you know, yeah. weekend, weekend nights or whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, and the, the idea that like, that's worth its weight in gold just to have mm -hmm. a resource that's not Google, that's not going to tell yeah. you you have to see the doctor or you have cancer. You know that, that yeah. it's, 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 and it's someone that you trust and have a relationship with rather than the teledoc where you call and they're like, they go through an algorithm and then, you know, it's, yeah. it's very depersonalized. And then you're kind of like, okay. I mean, it was, a, I did the same thing as a young mom with my first kid. It was, you know, well, he has a fever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we yeah. called the teledoc and basically the way that the algorithm of the nurse triage went through was like, yeah, you need to go to the ER. It's like, oh, okay. We went to the ER and they checked his temperature and like, even in triage, the lady was looking at, she goes, you should just go home. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. You know, <laughs> it's like, she, yeah. she actually was sweet enough to save us that whole ER visit. She was yep. just like, yep. he'll be okay. This is what you do, go home. And yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. gosh, I hope she's a DPC provider now because she was amazing. Oh, but, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's neat that now when we're working with DPC providers like yourself um, and and your patient, like how, what's your patient load now? What what is what do you have in your clinic now? As far as like numbers, we're about 75% yeah. full. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what does that um, look like? Are you like a 500, 1500, 700? You know, I, I plan to tap out at 400. Okay. So, gotcha. um, and, and the reason is, is I do a lot of mental health and I just want to be mm -hmm. available. Um, yeah. I also like, again, I'm human. I have three kids and my husband is actually going to be joining the clinic here in January. Mm -hmm. Cool. So he's going to be helping with various, you know, various tasks around that the admin and stuff like that, that I'm so I can have more time with patients. And um, so that'll be good. And then um, but yeah, I think I'm I, I that's at least right now where I feel like I'm going to tap out mm -hmm. at. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm hoping actually around probably within the next six months to bring on another provider. So I have a couple people oh, cool. I'm courting. So nice. we'll see if, uh, if they are ready to make the leap, but um, yeah, I have yeah. one, actually one friend of mine, that's a psych nurse practitioner and cool. she's also, she's double board certified. So she's finishing up her psych NP, um, but wants to do more family because psych and family are so interconnected mm -hmm. and I do so much psych as a family NP. So yeah. it would be a great combination for the two of us to really work together and really help people. We do a lot with um, disorder eating and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's where it's it's awesome to hear you say that and and that you've kind of taken taken that role to address some of that stuff because that that is one of the 
I think one of the main things that we get referred to, it's like the classic obesity or diabetes are two of the big ones, but then right there next to it is gut health and eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we don't find out the eating disorders until they're already working with us where, you know, and, and the doctor might sense there's something off or just, Hey, I don't know what's going on. Uh, You know, it's behind, it's over, it's over my expertise. And once we get uh, the, the, the patient speaking with one of our registered dietitians or therapists that has that background, it's you peel back a couple layers of the onion and all of a sudden you find it. And that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty neat to be able to, to be able to have those specialties. Um, but awesome that you, that you're one of them that can identify them and, and kind of work through those layers of the onion. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, orthorexia is huge now. While it's not mm-hmm. a DSM five criteria, it's definitely there. Um, and I, that's one of the things kind of, you know, with the whole lifestyle medicine uh, in that onboarding visit, I mean, I'm asking things, I'm literally asking them how many times a day they poop because it's important. All of that stuff is important and you never get the time to do that with anybody. So it's, you know, how is your gut health doing? How is, you know, what's your diet like? And when you actually, when you ask the question, right, when you ask like, how's your diet? Oh, my diet's great. I am, I eat super healthy. I, you know, I am really good. Okay. Give me a 24 hour diet recall. Oh, well, I had two lattes in the morning. I had some cookies for lunch and then I ended up having a big dinner, but you know, my calories were still within like 1200 or 1400. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh geez. I'm like, and I'm just (laughs) screaming eating disorder in my mind. And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it may not be anorexia. It may not be bulimia, but like, there's so much disordered eating because of social media. I just had a patient today, same thing, you know. Um, she restricts to 1,000 calories. And I asked her, why do you feel that you need to do this? And she just says, I don't feel like I'm going to be, I don't think I'm thin enough. I don't look like those girls on Instagram. And I said, those girls on Instagram don't look like those girls on Instagram. That's yeah. what filters no. are for, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> yep. But the fact that social media is out there. I mean, it is just, and there's so much misinformation about diet, about exercise, about even just supplements in general, that it's, you know, it's so much patient education to do that, that I did not have time in the traditional insurance system. And when you actually get to the root cause, that's root cause medicine right there. Like that's getting to the root cause of issues is how much do you sleep? Do you actually eat? You know, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that was when we were when we were building out our app, because we have we have our habit tracking app. And the main thing is nutrition. Uh, that's what everyone does several times a day. So you want to be able to track that stuff and, and not even the, the 24 hour recall, but it's hey, let's, I can't remember what I ate everything yesterday, you know, no one, no one can. So mm-hmm. it's let's look out, look, let's look over the week. And if you can submit two to three entries a week, um, and then start to narrow that down of, of, okay, I'm really good Monday through Wednesday. Thursdays are always bad. I'm good on Friday. And then Saturday, Sundays, the wheels come off. And you can see yeah. a pattern. You can see a real pattern. And and the weekends are obviously unobvious. But then you find out that Thursday, they have to travel around uh, four Little League practices. And they're this. And they're stopping mm-hmm. at Wendy's and McDonald's. And, and you just have to identify that. Because a lot of times, they just forget about it. Yeah. Um, and then, so the nutrition is a big one for us on the tracking. And then obviously, which everyone laughs about is we have, we have a poop tracking on our app Yep. where, no, <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody wants to talk about it until you talk about it. And then, you know, between poop and se- sexual dysfunction, it's always such a conversation that people say, oh, well, 
okay, let's talk about it because everyone does it or everyone's supposed to do it and no one does it as good as yeah. they should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the poop app, when, when, when people can step back over 30 days or 60 days and see their nutrition going one direction and then their poops going another direction, getting, you know, getting better <laughs> each way, they're like, oh, yeah. This, yeah, is I, what, now, this is how this works. Yeah, yeah. I see. So it's it's really kind of it takes it takes a while. It doesn't happen overnight, uh, as you know. But uh, it it takes a while for them to figure it out. And when they do, it's it's pretty neat to see the light bulb go off. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I've had that too, where it's like you know I'm just kind of coaching with some of my patients in general, and it's like when they realize it's like, oh, and I always, I always make sure I talk about the fourth macro. It's like, we always talk about our carbs, our proteins and our fats. And that's, what's on my fitness pal and everything. Yep. But where the heck is the fiber on my fitness? Yes. Where is that? <laughs> you know? So that's, that's the fourth macro that I always say. And I'm like, I don't really care like where you are percentage wise on a lot of these other things. Cause if you are yeah. not eating fiber, you're not pushing all of that stuff through. And so, yeah. you know, it's a big deal. And, and, you know, and the idea of like women and, and everybody thinks it's their hormones and all of that stuff. And it's yeah. kind of like, oh my gosh, it's not. It's just like poop it out. What goes yeah. in must go out, you know? Yep. And so trying to get that. And, and I always laugh when people say, oh, well, I just, I've always pooped every three days. That's just normal for me. It's like, no, it's not normal for anybody. <laughs> like, you know, it's just you've been doing these habits for so many years that yeah. it's become the norm. So, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I love, I love to that. Talk about that. Yeah, I love fiber as the fourth as the fourth macro because I always ask that is I, I track everything, I track everything. Okay, so where where are you at in fiber? And they're like, Well, wait, what? I don't I guess, well, I guess I don't track that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. Well wipe out wipe out everything else and just give me fiber for the week um and see if you can track it. And then that's just such a eye opener for them because it was never talked about. It's never mm -hmm. highlighted, like you said, on all the apps and all of the social media stuff that you can read. It's just it's not, and 98%, I don't know, but north of 90% of the world is fiber deficient. So, yeah. you know, we need, to, we need to fix this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then they think that because of, like, their constipation, they need to take probiotics, and it's like, no, oh, yeah. you just need, and, uh, you need it's, oh, like, yeah. it's like trying to, uh, you know, use, I, I don't know, what is, what is a good analogy for this? But it's like trying to use a probiotic for constipation is mm -hmm. like, trying to clean out a tube with a pencil. Like it really isn't yeah. going to do anything, a pipe with a pencil, you know, but F Metamucil will be like a Brillo brush and go through that entire pipe and just wipe you clean, you know, and it's like, and then you'll feel better. So it's funny how many um, of my older patients, especially what I find um, interesting is the amount of disordered eating and lack of calorie intake in the women who are uh, 45 to 55. Um, there is Why's a huge that? population. They just don't eat. They just don't eat anything. And then they, they are curious as to why they're gaining belly fat and all of that. And it's like, well, it's because you're going through menopause and you're not fueling your body the proper way. And so, um, you know, you're going to gain weight when you go through menopause as a woman. It's just that's part of it. And they think by restricting their calories, they're really helping, but they're just slowing their metabolism down even more. And, you know, and so that be, becomes a problem, but there's that and, you know, in the bowel movements with women in their like 45 to 50. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was a big one. Um, probably it was early on, maybe a year ago or six months ago, but that was one of the first groups that we started, um, was, was menopause because we had, for some reason, one month was a, was a big menopause month where several women came in, 
referred to us and I was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not raising my hand. I'm not the right coach. <laughs> so, <laughs> not it. so I was like, yeah, not it. Um, so I immediately sent a message to all of our coaches and I said, you know, need some help here. Who's got experience. And we immediately had like six or seven women that raised their hand and said, right in my wheelhouse, let's go. Um, and that was the formation of our first group. And now we've since we've identified all of our coaches as all different specialties and we're actually getting ready to roll out our group coaching strategy. So we'll have, awesome. uh, I, th I think our first three will be diabetes, weight loss, and menopause for group coaching. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was what kicked it off. I always wanted to do group coaching, but it didn't start until we had that menopause month where I had to kind of seek guidance and help from, from our coaching staff. And they, several of them, you know, we had a whole team right away. So it was yeah. pretty neat to see how that just yeah. organically happened. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's get to um, let's get to social media. Let's get to social media. Um, so oh, it's yeah. always a fun thing, and 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 I want to push as many as many people who are interested in DPC, whether women or nurse practitioners or just current healthcare professionals that want to see a happy healthcare provider. Um, yeah. you know, see you, uh, educate a little bit. Are you elsewhere? I, I always see you on LinkedIn. Are you elsewhere as well? I am. Yeah. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would recommend to anyone who listens to this to, to, to find you on those three, uh, mediums. Um, yeah, our so what was Creek family health? So it's a, it's the, the clinic name is the, mm -hmm. is the account. So what, what kicked that off? What, um, was it kind of a, trying to gain more patience or was it just having fun with your new endeavor? What, what kicked off the social media thing? Because your, your posts are all very positive. Uh, you put a fun spin on healthcare, um, which normally is so depressing and so dark where you put a fun spin on it and it's very educational too. So what, what was the, what was the spark to do that? Yeah. So, um, when I first started, when I became a nurse practitioner, um, one of the things I was talking to my husband about just kind of as I started working and meeting more patients and everything, I, I realized that like people walk in and they're super nervous and they come into this clinic with this, this sterile environment and they don't know what's wrong with them. They're super vulnerable. And I even, I mean, this was something even like as a nurse in the hospital, I would, I would try and do, but you know, for me, it's always been like, I always feel like laughter is the best medicine. So yeah. I, would go into every appointment with the goal of, I am going to make this person laugh at least once. That is my goal. I'm going to make some sort of joke or I'm going to, you know, make them chuckle whether they like me or not, it's going to happen. And so um, that just kind of made it more fun for me as a way to practice instead of taking myself too seriously and taking mm -hmm. everything too seriously. Um, and so then it just became this, you know, more of a, you know, medicine and that kind of stuff is funny. And if we can kind of bring a lightness to it, then let's do that. Um, when I started the practice, I actually, interestingly enough, had before I started the practice, I pulled back on social media just for like my own mental health. And it was like, I don't mm -hmm. really want to, I, I, I didn't want to compare myself to people. I didn't want to, you know, do all of that stuff that we talk to people about. And, um, but then it was like, well, as a business owner, it's got something I've got to do with something. That's how people right. find me, you know, with social yeah. media. And so I was doing the posts, the like bland, you know, pictures and everything and trying to do it. And I just really wasn't getting much engagement. And so I was like, what if I do one of these things called a reel? Like what, <laughs> what is that? And so I kind of started flipping through and it took me about like two weeks to build up the courage. And then I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to do one and see what happens. And I did. 
and it did fairly well. And it was the simple yeah. one where I literally held up a vial of blood and it said, what is an A1C? And I put a music to it. And then I wrote more information in there and it was like, oh, well, that got some views and some likes. And so mm-hmm. I kind of just realized that whether that that's one of the reasons it's like, let's put some let's put a funny spin to it and let's just make it. Let's make medicine more accessible. And by yeah. do, by putting out reels and putting out information, that makes it more accessible. And then the other thing, too, for me is, like, I know that not everybody's going to like me as a provider. You know, I mm. might not be their thing. They may mm. want somebody who doesn't make jokes. They may want somebody who doesn't right. want to make them laugh or anything like that. So I figured if I just start putting myself out there, I'm basically – Kind of, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, like kind of weeding out the patients who wouldn't be interested in my model and me as a healthcare provider. So um, I do all the free meet and greets. You know, you can meet me to see if it's a fit, but I'm also screening Mm -hmm. to see if you're a fit for the practice because there's going to be work to be done. And if you don't want to do the work, then what's this isn't going to work, you know. So um, I kind of just put all that stuff out there. And I have a lot of people coming to me with different modalities and stuff. And I am not I'm not functionally trained. I, um, you know, don't believe in that. I believe more in lifestyle medicine and, and working mm-hmm. with them with that. And so um, I put out a lot more of that stuff out there just to kind of let set that expectation of this is how I practice. And, you know, if you like me, come on, come meet me. Yeah. And, um, I want to be open and friendly and warm and, you know, and have people feel comfortable contacting me if they need to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love it. I mean, the, the stuff is, is very entertaining to me and it's just so it puts a fun spin on it and you always have, I, I mean, when you put yourself out there on social media, as we've talked about before, you have the people that'll take jabs and disagree or whatever they might be. But, um, but I like the, I like the, the angle that you kind of throw yourself out there. So a bit of the, the recruiting back and forth between patient and, and physician is already kind of done because yeah. they know your personality and they're attracted to you or they're not. And that, yeah. that, that takes out some of the work and the, and, and people coming in and going and, and, yeah. um, and we actually, we, we do that with our coaches too. We, we, we do a pretty rigorous onboarding to find the right, the right coach. And if yeah. they're, and, and if, and we make them feel very comfortable that if they ever want to switch, it's on, 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 on a single day, on a drop of a dime, they could switch coaches because especially with lifestyle medicine, like you said, you're putting your personality out there. You're going to talk to people about things in a, in a fun way, in a light, more lighthearted way. And yeah. our coaches, it's such a big, you have to be able to talk to your person about that. You can't, you can't not feel comfortable with them and get into bathroom situations, marriage problems, what yeah. really personal stuff. You have to be able to talk to them about it. So we really, we really do like kind of a similar thing on our coaches and you just have to fit with that person. Otherwise it's just not going to yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. If you don't feel comfortable with the clinician or the provider that you're seeing, you're not going to tell them anything and right. then we're not going to be able to help and fix your problems. So it's all, it's all about a, a comfort level, you know, and that's, um, you know, it, it and, it, and part of it is that time we take with them or that I, you yeah. know, that I take with them, you know, today, the patient that I met, you know, she, she definitely has an eating disorder and, mm-hmm. um, but she doesn't know it. And I'm, you know, but I know that I'm going to see her again a few times very soon and I'm going to keep closed tabs on her that like, we're going to work through the process of how to uh-huh. let her know that she has an eating disorder, but it's, you know, and then it comes up, all these other things start coming up. Like even I'm just drawing her blood and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, 
we talked about her boyfriend and her boyfriend's mom doesn't get along with her and you know those kind of things yeah, which yeah. again all fall under the category of stress that's probably causing lack of <laughs> yes. sleep that's probably causing part of her issues with eating you know all of those things and it's like she didn't tell me that when she was sitting on the couch across from me in the first 20 minutes but it's just that it's just all of that and me doing everything together in the clinic it's just more time and they become so comfortable with me. It was just like, you know, I see them. I see them go from stiffly sitting on the couch to over time, like relaxing and then making jokes about poop or whatever it is that like they just become more and more comfortable just within that like one hour time span that we're together. So it's it's a lot of fun to see the change in that demeanor. I did have a funny um I would. The, the, I, I did do a funny social media post. That's probably the best one I've ever done, um, as far Ooh, as how well right. it did. But it was about prostate health with men. And okay. I yeah. see that all the time, and it was just like they'll sit there and they will be nervous for that annual physical, and then I immediately and I know why they're nervous, and I'm like, look, I'm not going to check your prostate today. <laughs> like that's not recommended, and we're not going to do it. And it's just this wave of relief that goes over them that they're like okay all right and then they just they're an open book after that like they're they tell me everything and so you know it's pretty funny i do the same thing with women and pap smears it's like we're not doing that today so like you don't have to worry about that you know so um but you know it's just kind of real allaying their fears in it and then you just see the floodgates open up that like i care enough to like ease their mind so okay i'm gonna keep going with this so yeah yeah it's amazing like you said like you're taking you're taking her blood or whatever you mentioned and, and you started talking about the boyfriend and the, and the yeah. in-law or the, their, his mom and, and that sort of thing. It's, I always, I always describe our, our, our routine or our pathway as kind of like we break down the puzzle and we put it back together and each yeah. piece represents a different, a different thing, whether it's, it's, whether it's your schooling or, or you're going or your commute or your in-laws and, or, your kids, you know, little league coach, whatever it's, there's something driving a stressor that mm -hmm. happens and you don't even, you can subconsciously not even be aware of it until you start talking about it. And all of a sudden you're like, ding, found it. Yeah. Um, and then they talk about it. And then at that point, like you said, the floodgates open. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of people that's like, it's like swimming in the ocean. Like you don't know the size of the waves when you're swimming in it. But when you're up and above and you're looking at it, you can be like, oh, boy, that's a that's a lot of waves, you know. So. Um, so, yeah. And it, it takes like, you know, someone like a like clinician or somebody that they're seeing or a health coach or somebody to like kind of give them an objective point of view that it's like, what are these barriers and what are these things that are causing you to have increased stress and how can we. How can I fix that? How can we help you? You know, how can we navigate that kind of thing? Whether it's through diet, whether it's just like intentional movement, move for joy. I don't really care that you were getting up at 4.30 to do CrossFit because that is not working for you now, you know? So maybe a little yoga or stretching or maybe I had one patient where I was like, you need to stop working out is what I told her. I'm like, be done with CrossFit. Don't do that anymore. Let's take a break. And she did and she felt so much better after that. You know, it, it was because it was messing with her sleep. So, you know, it, it just really all depends on it, it's very. And that's the thing is lifestyle medicine is so personalized yeah. that you need that time. And direct yeah. primary care allows you to do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's why that's why I'm, I'm so happy we found it, because the nurse practitioner by herself or the MD by himself, whatever or herself, whatever it might be, um, you know, 
they've left the resources from the hospital system, not like they agreed with lifestyle medicine or anything, but now they're on their own. So if we could just be another extension of your care, because your mindset is there of putting the patient first again and spending time yeah. and peeling back the layers of the onion, um, if we can be an asset and a, and a piece of that that can help go home and do it on a daily basis with them, then it'll, uh, it'll be a nice tag team effort. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's, you know, speaking to Terra Health, like, you know, what you guys have done for patients I've referred so far has been awesome. They've been really happy. And when I do follow-ups with them, they're like, oh, my coach is so great. I love her and all that. And so they feel like not only now do they have me as a partner in their health that they, you know, but they also have, you know, their coach as a partner as well that can kind of really dig into a lot more than I can, you know, at a certain level because I do have a large amount of patients. So then it gets to this point that it's like, I can't call you like every few days. I just can't do that, but they yeah. can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's absolutely. been really great. Yeah. Oh, we love it. Um, all right. Two more, two more quick things. One is, um, on the employer side, is that something that you guys follow? I've, I've heard so much DPC at the two conferences we went to. That's such a big growth piece and it fits into the model because you want to make a healthier community. That's what you're doing in, in Carmel, Indiana, right? But is that is that something that is attractable, attractive to all DPCs on the small, medium sized businesses? Because on the on the on just on the healthcare savings that they, that you could provide to them, I I see it. But just wondering if that's on in your in your radar. Yeah, it is. Um, I have I have a couple businesses that I work with that I'm a benefit for. So I have a, um, a law office and a, a restaurant and a couple others, and so um, a cleaning company, and so. Um, yes, I, I think it's a, it's really great in theory to do that. And, um, I think it's very difficult because, um, you know, as the, as the sale, the business owner, I'm like, I would tell people like, look, you're not just giving them an insurance card and saying, good luck, find somebody who takes it. And then next year you switch to another company and maybe they don't take that insurance. So there's a lot of benefits for a company, a small to medium sized business mm -hmm. to do that and to use a direct primary care. However, it is so outside the box that that process of educating an employer can be very time consuming. Um, and so, while it's a great idea, as I have been, I more have built up my business and my clinic through individuals because, um, and individuals who are small business owners, and then that's how oh, I yeah. get their business. There you go. So you get there the you business go. owner, you get the business owner loving that, and then you say, hey, you know, you sure. have 12, 15 people that work for you. Is this something you would be interested in doing? And then they, they you know, then they'll decide whether or not they want to provide that benefit. Um, so it has been, it has been a tough road if I try to only go that pathway. Um, I haven't, I haven't really found the key to success on that. Um, I do believe it's a good thing. I, I don't, um, I don't necessarily see, it's one of those things that you have to have a business owner that really, really cares about their employees and their employees' health. Um, and, and, and you don't find a whole lot of them right now. And, um, and I think because of just the climate of the market, um, you know, people are really trying to find employees and all of that. And, and employees are being much more picky about where they work. And so um, if they were to say like, well, I'm providing this DPC mem membership, but I'm not providing insurance, they're going to be like, what is this? I don't understand. And if the employer doesn't have enough know how to explain that, then it just it's this, it's the game of telephone, right? You know, um, it just gets it just kind of gets lost in translation and as a provider, that makes it a little bit more difficult for me to kind of get out there. But 
you know, I go to Chamber of Commerce, I go to those things and um, talk to other business owners. But I tend to market to the business owner themselves and as like, I, I want to be your DPC provider and then they'll be able to explain it a lot better. Yeah, yeah. We're working, we're actually having those conversations with the with the benefits brokers who are in charge of yes. putting a plan together because they're, they're the gatekeeper. HR, C-suite hires HR to do it. HR hires benefits brokers to do it. And they have to kind yeah. of bring their plan together. And it's amazing how new DPC is to them. And when you start to think about small, medium-sized businesses, especially the self-funded ones, it's it's in their best interest to have a direct primary care, a, a directly a direct contracted physician at the forefront as the first filter. And then after yeah. that, if they think that lifestyle medicine could prevent or reverse some conditions and it's not going to be an ongoing diabetes medication forever, <clears throat> then it's yeah. in everyone's best interest then if they have us as a, as a partner, as, as a better type of prescription. So that's the kind of the conversations we're having on the, on the, on the benefits broker side. Yeah. And it's a tough one. Um, yeah, cause it's very like, tough. you know, where you talk about the hospital system and the administrators and who's ultimately benefiting from all the hard work of the clinicians, it's the administrators, you know, you kind of look at like brokers, where are they getting their, their pay? Like, how are they getting paid? And oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. they don't, I don't have the money to pay those brokers a finder's fee for, you yep. know, this company. So as a little person, like it just doesn't, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't get the front billing. I've, I've had some health insurance brokers um, that are like, oh yeah, I'm presenting you to this company. I'm, I, I'm not there. You yeah. know, I, if I could be there, then they would see that, hey, this is a fantastic clinician who's like here and you're giving this relationship. But when you're, the more, the more third parties you start to bring in to broker your services, the harder it gets, yeah. you know, to actually Absolutely. get what you want done. So it can be a challenge. And I, I've kind of run into that and um, I found that to be frankly an uphill battle, you know, but uh talking to the independent business owners and being that provider for those independent business owners has been a, um, has been more of a boon than trying to go through companies that will quote unquote broker your services. Oh, and the other thing is too, is uh, we have a lot of companies, there's a big like marathon health or is it marathon or is it something else? There are, um, some more employer groups, uh, what are they like? Um, employee, employee health kind of things like where they, but they just have a rotating provider and all of that stuff. But because they're bigger, they can provide more benefits than I can. They can provide free medications and things like that. So that tends to be a challenge as well because we're, but you know, they're not personalized service that I can give and they're not doing lifestyle medicine either. So it kind of, you know, they, but they have that model and they have that, they have, they've got those administrators backing them. So all right, but uh, the, the only thing was a little fun one that I wanted to ask you because I always see you have some cool t-shirts. So oh, I yeah. I am going to see, Do you ha does your husband have any t-shirts? Do you have any men's? Because uh, we I, do. Want, yeah. I want to do a little t-shirt trade. We have our, we oh. have our, yeah, we have our Green Gang t-shirts. Everyone at the conferences knows us and, uh, um, you know, you're, we're, we're so excited to be working with you. And, and I always see on your social media, you're always rocking one of your shirts. So, uh, so we're going to do a T we're going to do a t-shirt trade. <laughs> okay. Fair enough that we can do that. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Well, well, Farah, thank you so much. Uh, this was very educational, uh, for the world of nurse practitioners around. I can't wait to tell, you know, at, 
actually point this in their direction to make sure. And, and hopefully if, if I can connect any of them to you for some more questions, I hope that would be okay too. Cause we want, uh, Absolutely. we want, cause we want more of them. We want more of them to start to explore, uh, doing exactly what you did and, and, and putting the patient person first and being able to do that. So, um, and on that front, thank you for just making healthcare more fun. Uh, we're so excited to be working with you and, and I can't imagine what your patients, uh, they're all, I'm sure as happy as can be. So. Thank you for everything you're doing. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right. It's been great to be with you guys, too. Yeah, we're looking forward to helping more of your patients, and uh, I'll get out to see you in Indiana one of these days. Fantastic. All right, take care. You can connect with us through the link in the description or at terrahealthcoaching.com by clicking Get Started. Reach out to us so we can strategize on how to implement lifestyle medicine into your world.